Good evening. Uh, we're continuing the Talmud series, I believe number 23, but I'm not sure. Uh, sorry that the last two weeks I wasn't here. We continue from now. The last we finish, we are in Masechet Chagiga, and uh, the Gemara says uh, that Elisha ben Avuya, uh, his name eventually changed in a Gemara to Acher. Acher means a stranger, a different person. This is a person who reached a very high level of Torah, and eventually he left the religion and he went all the way down. Why? He was the, stu the student of Rabbi Meir Baalanes. The Gemara says story that Rabbi Meir used to, used to run after him. He rides on a horse. And Rabbi Meir asks him words of Torah and he tells him all the answers. And then he goes out of the territory of Shabbat and he says to Rabbi Meir, stop, you cannot continue to run. And, uh, and he says to him, what about you? You're not a Jew. Well, you're riding on a horse on Shabbat and you go out of the territory. So he told him, I'm a lost case. I heard, look at his level. I heard an echo from heaven that HaKadosh Baruch Hu announced everyone is welcome to make tshuva, to repent, except one, except Elisha ben Avuya. Everybody asks, how can it be? A rule, the rule in the Torah is that every Jew with no exception still have a chance to make tshuva, no? That as long as we're alive, we can correct. Once you died, you died, that's it, it's over. As long as the person is alive, even the last minute of his life, he can still correct his situation. But it depends what it is. Depends what, what it is. Well, it depends what sin you do, then it's... Well, no, no. Obviously, a person in one minute cannot correct 70 years of sins. The word tshuva, it's a complicated word. In my second lecture, where I go tonight, I speak today about uh, in Ilchot Tshuva, the laws of repentance by the Rambam. Last time I did chapter one, now I'm doing chapter two, which is the second paragraph. Rambam covers everything from A to Z. What tshuva from love, tshuva from fear. There's a lot of things to be discussed. But it seems to me that many people make a mistake. What's the mistake? The mistake is that everybody lives with the thinking, I'll do whatever I want, and the last minute of my life, before I die, when I'll be in bed, dying from who knows, cancer or any other sickness, I'll ask God to forgive me. I'll say that I regret that I wish I would not be in Halal Shabbat, and this and this and that. And I, well, that doesn't the Torah say that as long as you're alive, you can correct? You can say, uh, you can say I'm sorry, and it's going to help me. So, the, first of all, let's not make any mistakes here. A person that knows the truth when he's 30, and he's going to live another 30 years in a lie, and thinking that before he's going to die, he's going to say, I'm sorry, and everything will be forgotten, he obviously lives in a dream. Because the, the, the Gemara says clearly, someone who says, I'm going to make sins today and later I will repent, he doesn't get an opportunity to make tshuva. So right there you get the answer that he won't help him. That's one thing. Those that Chazal was saying that a person before he die, he can still repent, it means either these people who never knew what they're doing, the last minute of their life, the rabbi come and say regret, make a confession, do something, so that can help them. Or 
it can help them to get saved from some of the punishments or maybe to be able to get another chance, which means to be reincarnated in another body and start their whole life again somewhere else. It can help them, but definitely nobody, people who still owe money and they never pay it, just because they say a few words before they die, it's going to be forgotten? Or people who were mechalel Shabbos all their life and now they say, I'm, I'm sorry, Hashem, I, seven years of my life, I didn't keep Shabbos. Forgive me, okay? Don't punish me. It's not, obviously, it's not the way it works. But it's definitely better than nothing. That's the idea here. That a person does that is obviously better than nothing. But either way, even if it was possible to think that Hashem will forgive a person in the last minute of his life or will give him another opportunity, everybody understands that it's not so simple because this person doesn't have any reward. What kind of reward is going to get? He has no mitzvot. He never said brachot. He hardly never gave tzedakah. The little mitzvot that he made, Hashem paid him in his life, is clean. So fine, to ask the judge not to punish you is one thing, right? But, but to receive a reward, forget about it. It's not so simple. Not, not only that, you have to know the Gemara speaks about Rish Lakish. Rish Lakish explains, he is a Baal Tshuva himself, Rish Lakish. Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish used to be the head of the gangsters and eventually became a very important holy rabbi, Etana, the Chavruta of Rabbi Yochanan, he married his sister. Uh, we're not talking about a joke here, this is a very serious thing here. He was so sincere in his tshuva that the Gemara says, someone who reached Lakish met in the market and say hello to him and spoke to him, everybody knew that they can go and make business with that person without an agreement, without witnesses. Here, come take cash. I trust you 100%. How do you trust me? How do you know me, Bichlal? Who am I? Do you know who I am? you know my name? I don't need to. You can tell me now your name. Here is the money. Go make business and make me some profit. Why? How can it be? If this rabbi, Rich Lakish, Rabbi Shimon Ben Lakish, spoke to you a minute on the street, for sure you are a good person. For sure you are righteous. Why? He had a rule. He doesn't say a word to a person that is not righteous. He's not talking to them. Why? I used to be like this. I don't want to return to that life. I don't even open a window that somebody will attract me to go back to my old lifestyle. This is, by the way, the answer to many people who ask this question. I became religious, they say. And many of my friends, many of my friends... They still want to be in touch with me. So most of my friends ran away. Most of my friends, they are not interested in a, in, a, in a friend that goes to learn Torah and doesn't want to come to the club anymore. But some of my friends are still in touch with me. Those friends of mine, what should I do? Should I bring them in? Should I invite them? Should I go around and sit and eat with them? Or I should cut my relationship with them and don't have any, anything to do with them? What do you think the answer is? Well, he said to cut. Who, who disagree? You don't have a choice. Oh, so in the beginning, in the first week or two, of course you don't cut right away. You try to bring them to your direction. You try to bring them to the rabbi, you try to give them a book. Today it's CDs, nobody has patience to read books today. That's why we're very strong into the CDs, distribution of free CDs. That's, that's the job, what can I do? With proofs you cannot argue. With reality you don't argue. 
somebody come and tell you, I don't understand why this person is successful. He's nothing. He's not even smart. He's not even talented. He's not even this. He's not even that. I always answer to these people, with success, how do you want to argue? If he has millions of followers, this person, something he does right, no? Maybe he has the help of the Satan. I'm not saying no, right? Uh, so uh, the idea is like this. First two weeks, first two weeks, you try to do everything you can. Two, three, four weeks, not more than that. Once you realize that this person is not interested to change his evil way, no, he's only interested to stay your friend, hoping he's going to take you back to his direction and take you on Friday night to the club in Manhattan. That's really his dream. So what's the idea? He said, thank you very much. No hard feeling. You know, uh, no hard feeling. The lecture started at 8.30, in case you didn't know. I'm just, uh, I mean, I know. So try to be on time, because I got to be out of here by 10. I have another lecture. Okay, so the, the idea is, that uh, you, tell this, you tell this person, listen, I got to focus on my tshuva. I cannot help you. It was very nice meeting you. No hard feeling. Goodbye. Who do we learn it from? Rish Lakish. Well, he could stay friends with all his gangster friends. Right? No, nothing. From now on, once I'm religious, no more newspapers, no more internet, no more news, no more television, no more uncles, no more uh, cousins. No more mixed dancing parties. It's out of my life. Either I'm righteous or I'm a faker. That's it. You have to choose a side. One of the things that the autistic kids used to repeat constantly many years ago when I used to go there and bring some people to see what a, a, a soul of an autistic kid is. It's, it's horrible to see such a thing. How a person is completely disconnected from this world physically and his soul is connected all the way to heaven. And they give you things and tell you things about yourself, it's hard to believe. They always repeat the same thing to all this Balei Tshuva I used to take. Do not continue to live in two worlds. It's not going to work. You cannot have one leg in a yeshiva and one leg in a disco in Manhattan. You cannot do it. You got the point or no? You have to choose a side. You choose the right side, fine, Hashem will help you. You want to be half religious, half a goy, it's just not working. It's not working. Plus, later when you have children, you'll see what a price you're going to pay. Because if your children will realize you're a faker, they'll never do anything. So, nah, that's not religion. You won't have the tool, you won't have the strength to tell them Musar, to tell them what to do, what not to do. Because everything you're going to tell them will become an argument. Why? Your son will not tell you in your face, hey, you're a faker, hey, you're a liar. He won't tell it to you. If he has manners, some of them will tell it to you in your face. Ah, you're telling me about this and this and that, but you're not doing it. You tell me to learn, to learn, to learn. I don't see you learning. You tell me to be honest, honest, honest. You're not so honest. You tell me never to lie. When people call, you say you're not here. You understand? The kids re realize right away if you're real or you're a faker. Some kids, on certain things, they listen to their parents. Why? Because they know that the parents tell me not to do it, and they're also not doing it. So you have the power to influence them. Other things that they know the parents are cheating, they also want to cheat. They see the father sit on a computer all day in the living room or in his room in the house, all day is on a computer, they will also want a computer. 
as soon as they have money, their first money they save, they'll buy, they'll buy a computer. You won't allow them a computer, they'll buy a small device. They'll do whatever they want. In the end, they'll get what they want. You're not going to be able to prevent it. And once they have access to this dirty internet, that's it, you lost your children. From this moment on, only a miracle will save you. This is the reality today. The best kids that used to be great, as soon as they watch something in the internet, one dirty commercial, or one not modest picture, or one sporting, or anything you can think of, that was the end of them. It's the beginning of a drop. They begin to drop, and the end is who knows when. So let's move on. So Rish Lakish in Gemara, he defined what's tshuva mi'ira and what's tshuva me'ahava. Making repentance out of fear help you to erase your sins. Making repentance out of love, you're in love with Hashem, you, so you're so embarrassed to disappoint Him, not because of the punishment. Assuming you think, you know what, even there's no punishment at all. The, the word punishment doesn't exist. But to disappoint my creator, my supplier, my, my father, and to do what he told me not to do, how can I do such a thing? It's not fair. I love him. That's a very high level of tshuva. And not only that your sins will be forgotten, they'll turn into mitzvot. That's the opinion of Rish Lakish and Egmara. That's the good news. The bad news that in 16 years that I give lecture, I can count on one or maximum two hands how many Baalei Tshuva that did it out of 100% love I met. There are a few. I can even, even think about their names. But very, very few. Most people, it's a matter of calculation. What do I gain? What do I lose? If I continue this way, according to the Torah, I'm a lost case. I'm going to pay heavy price. I'll pay a very heavy price, or I lose the reward, or Hashem will not give me money, or I won't get married, or my children will be bad, or I'll be sick, etc., etc. Everyone calculate what's going to come out if I continue like this. What would you have an addiction? What would you love to quit if you have an addiction? Let's say you're an alcoholic. Yeah. You want to stop and you can't stop. If you still love Hashem and you want to try to stop. Right. Well, addiction, physical addiction, obviously everybody understands that it's very difficult to stop. But, but it's not impossible. It's possible, but it needs a lot of hard work to get out of physical addiction. But physical addiction is not only cigarettes or drugs or things. It can be a lot of different things. Besides all the things we know, gambling, women, food, this is all addictions, food. People stress all the time. They're not when they're hungry. They eat because they, you know, they, they want to get out of their depression. It makes them happier. They, they're addicted to the flavor, whatever. But there's other addictions. There's addictions to lie. There's addictions to steal, addiction to, you know, people are millionaires. It's, it's called klop, kloptomanic. How do you call it? They go and steal in the millionaire, billionaires. Yeah, yeah. All this, it used to be a movie star that they call her stealing perfume. Okay. 40, 50 bucks a perfume. She makes $20 million a movie. I don't know, $15 million a movie. She goes to steal perfume and they call her in front of all the customers. Especially when you know you're famous, everyone is looking at you all the time. If you're famous and you go to a store, obviously every customer, even though they pretend they don't look at you, their eyes on you. What are you going to steal? You see, it's a sickness. You know, I can't control it. You can't control it. Right? It's like trying not to be angry. A person that is angry all the time, 
even in front of a thousand people, he begins to scream like Mishugineh. He can do it in a wedding, he can do it in a business meeting, he can do it in front of a speech. Because this is him, he cannot control it. The Torah has the answers to all these problems. The more a person realizes how serious is the Torah, how serious is the relationship that he should have with Hashem, that helps him in every addiction. Some addiction can be only recovered by closing a person in a room, like jail. I know it's very difficult. I know it's against the law. For instance, if your son is a gambler, how are you going to get him out of there? Now, when he lost all his money, he became a thief. Gambling obviously makes them thieves. If they make a lot of money, then they don't have to steal. But most gamblers lose their money one way or the other. Now they need to get money to, to supply their needs, right? So they begin to steal. And if they, they, it's very difficult to steal, so they start selling drugs. They start finding all kinds of ways. They have nothing to lose because they, their life, the way they think is, it's better to die than not to be a gambler. It's better to die than not to use drugs. It's better to die than not to have a girlfriend. You know, this is their mind. That's the way they think. This is all addictions. The Torah can help, but not all the time the Torah can give you 100% cure. Sometimes you got to use professionals. They like the mean, like drugs. When people come to me and they tell me, my, I want you to take my son to your yeshiva, first thing I check if they use drugs. If they use drugs, I know I cannot help them. Why? Not that I can't. I can. But it's going to be a full-time job from now until who knows when. One month, three months, five months, full-time jobs. I'm not ready to dedicate my life to one stranger because he has addiction to drugs. What about all the other things I do? I put it all in a garbage for one guy? It doesn't make sense. So he needs professionals. Professionals, they lock them in, you know, it's much like behind bars. They do drug tests, all these things. They have to take care of it, that's it. The Torah can help. In jails, in Israel, the only place the secular people allow Torah is in jails, nowhere else. Not in schools, not in universities, not in the army. No one allowed Torah. In jails, they welcome the rabbis. Why? They don't want to work. The only thing that come down the, the prisoners is the rabbi. They're all a bunch of murderers, bunch of rapists, bunch of, of thieves. The rabbi comes, he speaks every day and hour. Everybody begins to get involved with the Torah. Anyway, it's boring over there. So now they, they want to feel something. So they enjoy. They ask questions. The rabbi gives them love, attention. All of a sudden, Shabbat, Kidu, singing a little bit. They discover life. Many of them comes out very good people. They learn their lesson in life. All right, let's move on. So, Acher had a daughter. She came to Rebbe. Rebbe was the president, Rabbi Udanasi. Besides the fact that he wrote the Mishnah, he was a great Talmud Chacham, he was also a very rich person. She said, Rebbe Parneseni. She says, Give me money, I'm very poor. His daughter. He said, Who is your father? She said, Acher. She said the truth. My father is that Rasha. He used to be tzaddik and became wicked. She said, What? There is still descendants left in the world from that Rasha? From that wicked person? She said, he said to her, the book of Eov, 18, Job, it said, Lo nin ve lo nechet be'amo. 
It should not have anything left from him, nothing, no souvenir, no memory of him. She said, please, Rebbe, remember the good things about him, not the bad things. Remember the level that he had in his Torah. Don't remember the bad things that he did in the end of his life. The Gemara said that the bench where Rebbe was sitting started to burn by a miracle. You know, you have a wood bench, like here, the bench is here, they burn, it became black. Fire came from heaven. So Rebbe says, started to cry. Rebbe started to cry. He said, if a person that was righteous almost all his life and in the end became wicked, just for the Torah that he learned, Hashem still gave him respect for all these years of Torah, that when I spoke bad about him, I almost got burned. Imagine those who died righteous, that died with the Torah, that never dropped it, or never did anything against it. When a person is in sorrow and pain, upset, today they have a name for a depression, what's Hashem says in that moment? Which means it's an expression that Hashem is very upset with him. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu is upset even when the wicked people are down and depressed, the wicked people when they're broken, the, every wicked person has once in a while a moment of a breakdown. That he says, what's going on with my life? How long is going to go like this? I promise you, Reshaim, the Gemara say wicked people are full of regrets. So why their regrets doesn't help them? because they don't take advantage on a moment to elevate themselves spiritually. They depress for an hour, and they go back to steal and to murder the next day, like the mafia. All the mafia, you know, to be a mafia guy, it's very difficult. All this, see killing, drug dealing, kids are dying, police, this, jail, court things. What kind of life? Every second of your life you have to see who's going to assassinate me. It's gangs. Every second, you know, what kind of life? They always have to go with weapons, they always have to worry every police they see. What kind of life is this? Right? They worry about their children, maybe somebody will kidnap them, something, maybe my wife will find out what I do. Living with such fear, for what? For money. For money. That's really, what, what's to be a mafia guy? For what? If not for the money. Do you know anyone would agree to go to be a gang member if there's no money in it? Just for the hobby? If you know anyone like this, he needs a mental institution, for sure. Why are they going to that? Prestige, ego, but main thing, money. Tell them, let's say, hey, you work for me in my gang. You sell drugs, you murder, you do everything, and you get nothing. I'll give you one slice of rye bread a day. Show me this guy, where is he? No, it is none. What kind of life they have? So they are full of regret, full of disappointments, full of agony and pain, and in the end, they go express to hell. Why? It didn't help them. Why? To be broken means to make tshuva. You don't make tshuva, it doesn't help you. But the moment that they are broken, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is feeling bad with them. You may tell me, what do you mean Hashem is feeling bad? At the same time, the righteous person did something good, so Hashem is feeling good and bad at the same time? The answer is yes. Everything He wants, He can do. Plus, the Torah is speaking in a language of people. When the Torah said the hand of Hashem, does Hashem have a hand? The chair of God, does he have a chair? The eyes of God, does he have eyes? God forbid. What do you imagine him, with a nose? 
בלאנד, בלאק הר, אפרו, מה זה יבר? איך אתה מתאים? אתה לא יכול להתאים. זה סינט להתאים את האלוהים באיזה שם או איזה אימג'ה. סינט, סינט מהתורה. אם אתה מתאים את האלוהים, אפילו כמו אלוהים, זה סינט. Even if you imagine him as the letter Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey, it's a sin. Any kind of imagination how God looks, it's against the 13th principle of Judaism. What did they say with the head of God? Oh, so the Rambam answer. The Rambam say, the Torah speaks in a language that people are capable of understanding. For instance, when something is happening in a creation, it could be hundreds of angels are involved in that act. What do you think Hashem is going to explain to you how it works in the upper worlds, how the energy comes here, how the spirituality comes here, how things turn into other things? He's not going to be able to explain it to you. It's like taking a blind person and trying to explain to him the color blue. How many years is it going to take me to explain a person who was born blind how blue looks? How many years? How many millions of years? I'll never be able to. Well, the same thing is like telling a computer that is in Hebrew, words in Arabic now. It doesn't understand. It doesn't react. Why? It doesn't have the understanding. It doesn't have the capability of understanding it. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu is talking to us in a language that we understand. That's like a shortcut. Oh, you're telling me the hand of God when he's angry he hits the enemies? Oh, now I understand what it means. He can answer it to me in a very complicated way. What's the point? Anyway, I won't understand. Right? If I'm not a computer engineer, I'm not an expert. I'm not a programmer. Many times it happens to me. I have this righteous guy that takes care of my website. Everything he does from all his heart, 100%. By all volunteering, all for the mitzvah, to help Jews to become religious. Keep the seven law of Noah, listen to God, love Hashem, ask, asking questions, try to be righteous. Very good. So all the time, You know, he, when I have a problem in my computer, who am I going to call? To him. Finally, a person wants to help you. He helps from his heart. It's great. You're not embarrassed to call. So he helps me. always explain to me what he does. But I never understand one word of what he says. All I understand is the bottom line, he fixed the computer. That's what I understand. Yeah? And I have to be polite to try to pretend that I understand some of the things he says, but I really don't understand. Computer and me, it's like uh, understanding Chinese. I don't understand. I don't really need to understand. It's not my job in the world to know everything, how you fix computers. It's not my job. Therefore, with someone who's an expert, he's speaking his language. He understands his language. That's it. Okay, now let's move on. It says like this, if Hashem is upset that the blood of the wicked people is spilled to the ground, it's needless to say how much he's upset when the blood of the righteous people is spilling on the floor. The Gemara says, we're still in Masechet Chagiga, six different things were told about demons. You know, demons, demons exist. How powerful they are in our generation, it's an argument. Some say they lost their power, why? Because the negative and the positive sides are always equal, which means not to ruin the free choice. Hashem made the positive and the negative side always equal, and a person has a free choice. Every miracle can be explained in a, in a logical way. Oh, you know, there was a, a, something happened, you know, an earthquake, that's why the ocean split. The moment that Bnei Israel wanted to go, 
the, the earth shook, you know, there's a lot of earthquakes everywhere, and the water moved to the right, shift to the left, and that's how they went through. No, what's the chances happen? Finally, it happened, no. But you have to have a free choice. If it's too clear, then there's no more argument. Everyone will be righteous, of course. What's the argument? Same thing here. When the power of holiness was very high, the power of the negative side was also very high. You had Moshe Rabbeinu, you had Bilam. Moshe Rabbeinu, righteous, humble, holy, good person, merciful. There's not one bad thing you can say about Moshe Rabbeinu. Speaking to God, the only person in history face to face, and in the same generation, Bilam, the filthiest person on earth, also speaking to God, also having prophecy, also know a drop of a second when there is anger in the world, Midat Adin, ah, what's going on? Because if the Goim won't have a representative, what's the point? It has to be equal. Same thing here. When the, when the holy people were in a very high level and they could do clear miracle in front of your face, the demons, the Satan, also are very strong. Very strong power. So that's why if a person didn't wash his hands and he touched his eyes, he could be blind. Why? The Ruach Ra at night, the person go to sleep was so strong that it was a life risk. The Zohar says someone who walks four steps without Netilati Adayim has to die. He's playing with life and death here. Today, a person, 80% of the people I know don't wash their hands. They don't do Netilati Adayim. They touch their eyes, you no, know, so they're still alive. What's going on? What happened? The world changed. Because the holiness came down, the impurity also came down. It's not as strong. That's why things that the demons used to do in the time of the Gemara, we don't get to see it today. Even though I, had, I, I once said in one of my lectures, I had people from Iran, from Persia, three different people over the years that testified to me that in Iran there were Muslims Mekashfim. Uh, How do you say Mekashef? Someone who makes black magic, all kinds of kishufim. A voodoo, a voodoo, I don't know. They used to bring the demons into the house. They used to see demons walking there. Three different people said that there was a common thing over there. No, I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. So I'll just tell you what the words of the Gemara. Demons, there are six different kinds of demons. Three are like angels, 100% spiritual, and three like people. The three that are like angels, they have wings like angels have, and they fly from one side of the world quickly, in second. Drop of a second, you can go from Japan to Israel to Russia to anywhere you want. They know the future. They have the ability to know the future. Not that they know like Hashem knows. They are able to hear things from Beidin Shalmala, from the court of heaven, what's going to happen tomorrow. They cannot see it as a prophecy. A person that has Ruach HaKodesh, he sees someone, he knows what's going to happen to him. Not because anyone told him, he sees it. It's like a special holy energy. But these demons, they don't, see, they don't see it like a holy person can see. Or like Yaakov Avinu wanted to say the day of Mashiach, when Mashiach will come to his children and Hashem blacked it from him. He was able to see. He was able to see the future. When Yosef brought his two sons, he was supposed to bless them like this. He blessed them like this. He put the right hand on the youngest one. Yosef took his eyes and said, hey, no, it's the wrong order. 
So why did he say, no, I know my son, but he is going to have more righteous people come out of him. See, clearly in the Torah, the righteous person like Jacob, like Yaakov, had the ability to see things. No argument here. So, so there's an expression, they hear what's happening beyond the scene. It's like on the stage, you see what you see, but behind the scene, there's other things that you can see. They are able to see, for instance, if the price of oil will drop or will become double next week, they're able to know. The Gemara said that some of the people used to go to, the, to places where the demons are or to a cemetery and listen to their conversations. And they were able to do great business. The wheat will go up next week, they buy a lot of wheat in advance. They used to make tons of money. People don't have this ability in our days. So the, the Gemara say, same thing, angel, hear the verdict up there, what Hashem wants to do to the world, what Hashem wants to do to Israel, what Hashem wants to do to this individual Jew or this individual Goy, they can hear and they know. The other three kinds are like animals, like people, like the body, physical. They eat, they drink, they multiply by, by relationship, male and female. Very similar to people, and they also go to the bathroom, they have exits. How they drink, they leak from the top of the water in the rivers. And what they eat, all kinds of, le- they don't need to eat a lot. Leftover, they eat a little bit. They go to the bathroom, they release their bathroom. No, what else? You should know, the Gemara said, there is a demon, his name is Shaya, Shaya. Shaya, Shaya, I don't know how to read it because there's no Nikud. Gemara said that uh, if you make a renovation in your house, let's say you had a window here and you block the window, it can get him very crazy. And he wants to revenge. Why? Because he's used to come in and out from that window, you block his way. Remember, this is not people with free choice like us. They cannot do whatever they want. It's like robots, but three of them are physical. No? The Gemara continues, the Gemara says like this. If a person sees that his Yetzirah, evil inclination, is too strong for him, he cannot control his desire. And he made up his mind that he's going to make a sin. That's it, he's going to make a sin. What's better? To make the scene in the middle of town where all the religious people are, driving by, walking by, to make the scene here, or to go to a place that no one is there, or a place that nobody knows you over there, and make the scene over there. Better, of course, never to make the scene at all. Obviously, everybody understands. A person cannot hold himself. Cannot. He decides to make a scene. Only now, Hashem. Forgive me. Only now. Then, uh, then another year, you won't hear from me again. No? So where should he go? He should do it in public? Then in public it's Chilul Hashem. No, he should do it where nobody knows You have a good point, but you see, when you want to be ashamed from your sin, and people look at you and they say, wow, look at this religious guy, what he's doing, you lose more than you gain. You gain the embarrassment and you make Hilul Hashem, which is a million times worse. 
So what's the point? You gotta do it in a clever way. You gotta calculate what pays to do, what doesn't pay to do. So it says like this: It will go to a place that nobody knows him, and will bla- will wear black things. You'll be surprised in this Gemara. Why? In the old days, only the goyim used to wear black. <laughs> yes. Time of the Gemara describe it. There was one person who works in jail. And he pretends that he's a goy, he has boots like the goyim, dressed black, all this. And the old days, Jews didn't wear black, white, all the time. White is mercy, black is judgment. It kaseh chorim will cover himself from all black that nobody will dream that he's a Jew. <laughs> That's the opposite. The more, more black you are, the more Jew you are. <laughs> and follow his desire. Ve'al yechalel shem shamayim b'faresia will not dare to make a scene in public that all the people would see religious guys doing what he's doing. Not like you say. Okay. Darash Rabbi Yehuda Bar Nachmani Rabbi Yehuda Bar Nachmani this is what he says in the name of Rish Lakish There are three things that a person see, look at when a person looks at that, it takes away the strength from his vision. In other words, his vision becomes not as good. If it's 2020 now, eventually it will get af- affected. What is it? One is the rainbow. If a person looks at the rainbow, it's not good for the eyesight, for the, for the uh, quality of the vision. If a person looks at the Nasi, the prophet of Israel, the, not the prophet, the president of Israel, the Nasi. And when the Birkat Kohanim, when the Kohanim go like this, the spirits is of the Shekhinah is on the top of their fingers. If a person looks at them when they do Birkat Kohanim, it's also not good for his vision. Why? Why the Nasi? Why not to look at the president? We're not talking about Shimon Peres here. Is a Nasi of the secular state. We're talking the Nasi, the Nasi of the Sanhedrin, the Nasi of the of the Chachamim, right? So what happened? What happened if you look at the president of the Chachamim? The answer is, the answer is, because the spirit of Hashem is always on him. It's the biggest Chacham. Looking at him is like looking at the Shechina. Amar Rabbi Yehuda Amarav Aaron Lamikdash. When Shlomo HaMelech wanted to bring the coffin into the temple, the gate were sealed. He could not open the gate of Bet HaMikdash. It's big doors. He cannot open it. Miracle. The doors are not opened. Shlomo HaMelech made 24 different songs to praise God. He didn't help. The gate did not open. That's what we sing. We sing that song. That's from him. He wrote it. Let God enter. Hashem is strong and a hero. Nothing else. Then he says like this, listen good. We say it in a prayer every morning and we don't know what we say. How powerful are the words. 
השם אלוקים, אל תשב פני משיחך, זוכרה לחסדי דוד עבדיך. Don't turn down the face of your messenger, your servant. זוכרה לחסדי דוד עבדיך. My father David started the dynasty of the Mashiach. Every one of his children is a potential Messiah. Don't turn down, don't turn your face away from this righteous man, my father David, David. After he mentioned the name of, of David, the gate opened up. And everybody knew that Hashem forgive David HaMelech for the things that happened with Bathsheba. Because everyone, you know, people like to still talk Lashonara. You see what happened to David? Hashem sent him Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet told him an analogy, a mashal of a poor man that had a sheep and the rich man came and took away sheep. He's giving him a hint. You send Uriah Huti to, to die in a war and you took away his wife even though it was David HaMelech's original wife from Bert. She was his shidduch. But he gave her away to Uriah Huti because he opened the knot of Goliath. When David fought against Goliath, he couldn't take his sword to chop his head off. It was a war one-on-one. If David killed Goliath, the Jews, the Philistines become the slaves of the Jews. If Goliath killed David, the Jews become slaves of the Philistines. It's a big thing here. He, 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 he had a slingshot. He shot into his forehead, but he's still alive. He's on the floor. He got to chop his head off and bring the head. Maybe he was dead by then, but he has to take his head now, which is a big head. Ooh, it's a very heavy, heavy head. But he got to take his head, holding his hair, and bringing the head that everybody see, I won, here. You are the slaves of... That's the deal. They made a deal, a contract. You win, we'll be your slave. We win, you'll be our slave. They were sure, the Philistines, that this monster will smash him with his feet. This little, small David Amelech. In the end, David Amelech won. But he couldn't take his sword out. The regular sword cannot chop such a head of this giant. He needs his sword. His sword was very heavy to chop his head off. But the knot was so complicated, nobody knew how to open it. So he announced, the person who will open the knot of this sword will get the greatest girl in the nation of Israel. Hashem said, well, I didn't know you became the new god. You're already making shiduchim, matching soulmates. Okay, if that's what you say, we take your soulmate and give it to this Uriah What happened in the end? She was his, but Uriah took her. So how did David HaMelech took Bathsheba? When a person went to a war, automatically he used to give a get to his wife. Why? There was no internet or telephones. He can call her from Japan. Honey, don't get married. I'm still alive. They put me in jail in Japan. We're working out. We're working it out. Maybe next week I'll get out of here. You know? How are you going to know? There's no cameras. There's no... The world was, you go somewhere in the world in a desert. And then you're missing. That's it. You, after the war, nobody knows where you are. Maybe they took you as a prisoner. You'll be a slave for the rest of your life. You're locked in a house. You can never come out of there. Or maybe, who knows what they did to you? They're torturing you somewhere. It can be years there, and the wife doesn't know what to do. What should, what, should I get remarried? So they used to leave a get just in case. If I don't come three months after the war, 
take the get, go and get married. You marry, you already. When they came back from the, from the war, they go back to live together because this get was conditional. No, fine. So when Uriachiti went to the war, he gave a get to Batsheva. David Amelech took her and married her. She was mine to begin with. So what's, why Hashem got upset? What's the problem? Why? Because he didn't need to do it in such a way to send him to die in a war. He could have come and tell him, I'm the king, give her a get. She's my shiduch, not yours. End of story. Why is all these things? Plus, to begin with, there was a mistake to promise him the greatest Jewish girl. What's, what's the point? Ask. Anybody knows how to open the knot? Come and open it. Finished. End of story. So, everybody knew that Hashem is not upset to David HaMelech anymore. Because once Shlomo HaMelech mentioned his name, that was the only name that was able to open the gates of Sharei Bet HaMikdash. This temple, by the way, in case you didn't realize, later was destroyed after 410 years, completely. The Babylonians destroyed the first temple. The Mishkan, the temporary Mishkan that the Bnei Israel used to carry with them for 40 years in the desert, was never destroyed. It was Nignaz. Nignaz means hidden somewhere. They buried it somewhere in the ground, nobody knows where. What's the difference between the merit of the Mishkan to the merit of the temple, that the temple was destroyed, but the Mishkan wasn't. The answer is, the Mishkan was made from the donations of the Jews, what they gave from their heart. Nobody forced them how much to give. Give whatever you want. Put it in a box. Whatever you want. They took the money and they made it. This temple that Shlomo HaMelech built, he made a tax for everyone. You have no choice. You have to pay this tax. And people were upset. Why do I care now you're building a new shul? You're forcing me to pay? I don't want. You don't have a choice, my friend. You gotta pay. You gotta pay, you go to jail. Same thing, taxes here. Who likes to pay taxes? You know, they keep telling you it's against the Constitution of the United States to pay tax. It's all IRS thing, it's illegal. It's against the Constitution. I don't know if you know it. But go and tell the government that I want to fight against you. <laughs> you know any judge that will dare to risk his career and tell the IRS when they sue a person for taxes, I'm sorry, you don't have a case because you are a violator of the Constitution. Did you hear about it, by the way? You should know about these things. Once I get an email, beautiful email, with lots of explanation by the, some kind of a attorney of taxes, and he said, many people do not know that according to the Constitution, it's illegal to force a person to pay X amount of money. It's not in the Constitution. But nobody makes a beep when they come and take, right? It's like, a, it's like protection. You know what protection means? The mafia forces you to pay protection. In Israel, unfortunately, it's very common. Why? Well, you have the Russian mafia now. They, they brought 800,000 children of Amalek into Israel. They gave them $15,000 each to agree to come to Israel. And many of them are murderers and Nazis with swastika sticker on their body and tattoos and shaved head. And they, you know, they, they catch Nazis in Israel every week from these people. They make themselves Christian cemeteries. They light trees. They put lights in their terrace. They're not embarrassed of anyone. They made 150 pig stores, pork stores in every city in Israel. Every building almost in Israel has at least one apartment, which is a prostitution home. 
almost every building. You know, in every, you have no idea that the damage that they made to the Jewish nation, these 800,000 goyim that came, in million years they won't be able to correct. If we would be now alive for a million years, we won't be able to correct the damage that they made in the last 20 years. And this is all the fault mainly of Ehud Barak, which is the minister of of defense today. Today is still the second strongest man in Israel after Netanyahu. In this world, nobody gets punished. Wait until he gets to Olam Abba. He is going to begin to pay for everything they ever did, for every car they broke, for every rape they make, for every murder. You know how many of them are hitmans? Every week, if you follow the week in Israel, every, every hour a person gets a, a bullet to his head. They blow up cars. Now it's, it's, it's protection. They go to places. Uh, listen, you've got to give us 20,000 shekel a month, and we will protect you. If anybody comes, you call us, we'll protect you. But I don't need a protection. I'm okay. You don't have a choice. You pay us, or the next day your store will go on fire, and then your car, and then your house, and then your children. You don't have a choice. And the police are shaking. They cannot make a beep. They now burned the whole IKEA in Israel. 150 million shekel damage. Now the rumor is that it's because of protection money. They didn't want to pay protection, they burned out the whole place. 150 million dollar damage. A smart person, what is he going to do? He has to pay, he has no choice. What is he going to do? He die for money? What's better, to die? You have no choice. All right, time is running out, so let's move on. So Shlomo HaMelech was able to open the doors thanks to the name of his father. From here we learn Zchut Avot, the merit of the fathers helping the children. The Gemara says like this, When Hashem is satisfied from a person, this is what I always tell people. Whenever you have a problem with someone, he gives you hard time, it's really not him, it's Hashem's giving you hard time. Don't ever forget that that person that is after you, it's Hashem after you. If you didn't deserve hard time, this person wouldn't touch you. If you didn't deserve someone to break your car, it would go to someone else's car. From thousands of cars that were here in the city, five or six were broken tonight. Hashem sent them to the, to the cars that he wanted them to break. They decided to break a car, but they didn't decide which car. They got to look for. Where does Hashem send them? This car, this car, this car, for whatever reasons. When Hashem is satisfied from the way of a person, Hashem will force his enemy to surrender to him. Somehow, all of a sudden in court, he realizes, oh, he changed his whole, his whole thing, 100%. There was one rabbi in Europe that the, the Christian called him, that he murdered a Christian boy and made matzah from his blood. You hear this nonsense? A Jew is not allowed to eat a drop of blood that you found by mistake in the egg of a chicken. It's not even a blood of a person. It's a blood of a chicken. A drop. You cannot use this egg. Throw it away. Hard to believe. So they used to make all these things. And the Arab countries, it's still every day you hear this on the, on the Arab media. I can show you an email someone sent me with 15 clips. How in this generation, in these days, a month ago, five months ago, they continue to show cartoons of the Jews that killing kids 
and taking their bloods for their matzah, knowing, they know it's not the truth. You know, they're not that dumb, but they don't care. Lies, as much as we can lie. So, they want to prosecute this rabbi and execute him. They're going to execute him. But there's a problem. What's the problem? They nominate him a lawyer. Who is the lawyer? A Jew. What kind of Jew? Not a Hasidic Jew. It's a secular Jew. Right? Out of college, first year in law, in practice, he works for the city. Right? You know? All right, because it's for free. You get a lawyer for free. No, that for free will cost you millions later. So anyway, he comes now. He say, okay, I'm your lawyer, Rabbi. Nice to meet you. The rabbi sits down with the head, he doesn't move. Rabbi, I'm here. He sits like this, doesn't make a beep. I came to help you. It's a very serious case here. They want to execute you. He doesn't talk. One day, two days, three days, three weeks before the trial, the rabbi doesn't talk a word to him. Tomorrow morning is the trial. The, 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 the lawyer hardly knows his name. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't hear a beep from him. What opening statement I will say? What, what, what protection? I don't, I, don't even, I, didn't, I don't know. You didn't even tell me you were there, you were not there, you have an alibi, nothing. He doesn't know anything. So an hour before the trial, he said, okay, now we have to go to court. It's going to be a big embarrassment. I will have to say that you didn't speak a word to me. But I'm dying to know what did I do wrong that you're not talking to me. Finally, the rabbi opened up his mouth. He said, the Torah say, you're not allowed to look at the face of a wicked person. I'm not interested to talk to you. So Rabbi, but you understand that your only chance to leave is me? Without me, you're for sure dead. That's it. It's going to be one, two, three. Why is he wicked? Huh? Why is he wicked? Oh, what kind of lawyer he is? Mechalel Shabbos, eating pork, eating cheeseburger, married to Christine. What kind of lawyer they gave him? Hasidic? That's why I say in the beginning, it wasn't a Hasidic lawyer. Yeah, but a lot of people, like, now I say, those we talk to secular Jews all the time, you know, because all the time, they go there on the street and they try to get people, you know. That's what's looking at. Depend which rabbis. Depend. Rabbis that they walk in Kiruv, do they have a choice? If a Jew fell into the bathroom, you know, remember the primitive bathrooms that they used to have? You know how it used to be? It used to be a hole in the ground, and it falls about 20 feet down. What happened if it broke and a Jew fell into there? Because it stinks, we won't save him. We've got to go there and get him out, no? And wash him. It's a dirty job. That's what we have to do. That's what I've been doing for 16 years. I go to places, try to get them out of there. Sometimes I get dirty. You see, don't you see? Look. Instead of looking like, you know. <laughs> so that's the job. But some rabbis, forget about it. Fine, fine, fine. Everything in life can be argued in both directions. But I'm telling you a story that happened in reality. You want to change the movie now? All right. Send a letter to the director, ask you how it was. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, the, so the rabbi, an hour before the trial, he said, I cannot look at your face. The Torah said, I'm not allowed to look at the face of a wicked person. No, so what happened? 
They come to court. They ask the lawyer, what do you have to say? He said, I don't have anything. For three weeks, I'm going every day to jail. My client did not say one word to me until an hour ago. An hour ago, he told me something. That's my my opening statement. That's my ending statement. What is it? He could have told me, I asked him, why are you not looking at me? Why are you not talking to me? He could have said, my back hurt. I'm depressed. I'm not in a mood. Leave me alone. Whatever happened, happened. I trust God to save me, not you. He could have given me another answer, and I wouldn't get offended. And this is what he told me, that the Torah is not allowed a person like me to look at the face of a person like you. That's why whatever happened to me happened. I die, I die, but I won't look at your face. That's the truth, and I won't do it. If I'm the only way to save his life, and he tells me the truth in my face, getting himself into more trouble, problems. Do you think he can go and kill an innocent kid and, and drink his blood? Do you really think that? Is this is a joke or a serious trial? That was the end of the trial. There was another similar trial to this. Another different rabbi that they also blamed him for the same nonsense. So he said to the judge, the rabbi himself, say, Rabbi, before you decide my verdict, please take a Jewish woman from the market Anyone you want, you send your people to bring any Jewish mark and Jewish woman. I want to show you something that you understand that I'm innocent. Anyone you want, you name, just bring her. I'm going to ask her to do something, and you get the point. So the woman came. So he said to the woman, please make me an egg omelet. Make me an egg omelet. Nobody understands what he wants. So they went and get a, 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 one egg. They give it to her. She breaks the egg. She looks inside like this. So the judge said, what are you doing? What is this? So I'm checking to see there's no blood. I said, what's blood? So yes, yeah, sometimes there's a drop of blood, very small, very tiny, microscopic drop of blood. It makes it not kosher. Not allowed to eat it. So the rabbi said, you got it? A drop we cannot eat. You want me to, to drink five liters of blood of a kid, of a person? What are you... A vampire? What am I? And that was the end of it. And there's another trial, very similar, but this time for stealing. They caught one, they blame him for stealing money. So his lawyer said to the judge, Your Honor, when my client delivers a letter by himself, he takes a stamp and rip it to half, that the post office will not lose. How much is a stamp today? 45 cents? 43? How much? 44. Oh, Baruch Hashem. When I came, I think, to America, it was 18 cents 21 years ago. Now it's 44. So he said when he delivers a letter, he goes to somebody and put it in his mailbox, he takes a stamp and rip it. That the post office won't lose it. So the judge started to laugh like crazy. <laughs> you really believe this nonsense? And everyone is laughing. So the lawyer say, if I believe it or not, it's irrelevant. Nobody says on the street stories like this about you and I. You understand the point? If everyone say that, that means this person is extremely honest. That's his reputation. It, it makes sure the post office won't lose when he delivers a letter. You think he's capable of stealing and cheating and all these things that they make up? And also that trial ended good. There were many trials who ended bad. 
But this is just to show you that sometimes, after all, it ends good. Uh, now, uh, the Gemara continues, the Gemara says like this. Amar Abiyonatan. What is it that the Torah say, Neum David ben Ishai, the speech of David, the son of Ishai. Veneum agever ukamal. And this is the speech of the man that is above everyone. What's the, what's the meaning of that? Nobody understands this verse. Sheikim ulashel tshuva. No, that he was the founder of the repentance movement. No. Ah, the God of Israel says, who is a governor? Who is a controller? Who is a master of all people? God, no? That's not what he said. Tzadik Moshel irat Elokim. The righteous person, a tzadik, he is the master of all people. Rabbi Abau says, what's the meaning of all this? And this is what he says. This righteous person is my master as well, Hashem says. I'm the God of the universe. You see this righteous person? He is my boss. No, now it's becoming fira already. Soon you're going to put, you're going to see signs of me all over. But I'm reading from the Gemara. It's a Gemara. Yeah, and we, by the way, we moved already to Masechet Moed Katan without realizing we're not in Masechet Chagiga. We finished. So what does Hashem say? Scary, mamas scary. Tzadik, I am making a decree on a person and this tzadik has the, the power to overcome my decree and cancel it. Why? It's a rule in my creation. Rule. Like you have oxygen, you have fire, you have water, you have all the rules of nature. One of the rules, there is already a death sentence on that individual. He came to a big holy man, pray for me, pray for me, please, I'm begging you, pray for me. I want to help your yeshiva, I want to help your uh, whatever you do, whatever you do, let me help. And, but ha have me in mind, all of a sudden, shh, everything can be reversed. You see, Hashem decided that this person will die on that day. Thanks to that person, the decree was cancelled. It's like going from a judge of a regular court to the Supreme Court. Which judge is higher than the other? The one who can cancel the decree, not the one who can make the decree, right? The one who made the decree is X amount. The one who takes the decree and say, put it in the garbage, goodbye. End of story. Or like the president, the president in Israel has the power, like here in America, the judge can send you to 20 years in prison and he can give you Hanina. He takes it, he signs his stamp on it, and he sends you free. Right? Obama can take Pollard tomorrow out of the jail, Jonathan Pollard. If he wants, goodbye, finish. He takes him out. So that's the power of a president. It says like this. When a rabbi was sitting in the yeshiva, he didn't sit on the pillows. He didn't sit on blankets or rugs. He sat directly on the floor. Everybody else had a pillow, something to, to sit on it. They sit almost on the floor, like a big pillow, and they sit on it. <laughs> yeah? It says like this. They brought him pillows. He didn't want to sit on it. 
הקדוש ברוך הוא say, because you are very humbled and you put yourself down to earth, we didn't care about your honor, you'll be like me. I make the decree and you have the power to overcome my decree. You be the head of שלושת האבות. This is all amazing, amazing things. You know, you תהיה ראש לשלושת האבות. בשעה שהיה עוסק בתורה, he was sitting and learning תורה, pulling himself down like a worm, a worm on the floor. When he went to war, would be tough like a, like a solid tree. When he used to shot a bone with his arrow, hundreds of people used to fall down and die. As the Torah says, That's David HaMelech we're talking about, in case you didn't realize. David HaMelech is a legend, King David, even Chinese retail him. I know one person went to a gym, I was in a waiting room, he see a Chinese woman reading Tehillim, in English. Tehillim, says Psalms. He asked her, what, you believe in it? She said to him, who doesn't believe in it? Maybe she was a Christian Chinese, what do I know? But she reads Tehillim. You know, it's a very, very popular name. Almost every Spanish person reads Tehillim. Did you know that? You know the Spanish people in the middle of their funerals, they read chapters from Tehillim. In Spanish, Senor, instead of Hashem, they say Senor, por favor, you know, but still, it's the same Tehillim, same David HaMelech, same David HaMelech. Three things were told about, three things were told about nails. Nails, it's a souvenir from Adam. Somebody asks you, what Adam left in this world? Look at your nail, that's Adam. What Adam? Adam was a giant. And all his body was nailed. There's no flesh, no skin. That's why he was supposed to live forever, because a nail never die. You put a nail a million years, you come after a million years, you have the same nail. It won't become rotten, it won't become black, it won't become soft, it won't become anything. Nail. The nail of a person, it's a special material. It's like salt. Salt, why we say a covenant of a, a salt covenant? It's an analogy. It's, a, it's comparing a, an eternal covenant to salt. Why? Salt remains the same forever. You take salt. You come a million years later, it's still salt. Nothing changed. It doesn't age. It doesn't do anything. And so they, when they want to say that this is an eternal covenant, nobody can annul the covenant, they use a, an expression, Brit Melach, a covenant of a soul, a salt. So it says like this. Three things were told about nails. After the scene, Adam became small. His whole body became flesh like us. The Torah said that Hashem made them an outfit with a skin. Flesh. Flesh, leather. What is it? After the scene. It's supposed to be shy. When first Adam was created, he was shining like the sun. The angel thought it's God. The Gemara said the angel saw his ankle, just his ankle, his heel. It was like the whole sun, shining like a sun. The angel thought he's God. Later when they found out he's not God, he's what Hashem made, he's a person. But at that moment when he was created, when he was created, he was supposed to live forever. But after he made the scene, that's when, when he became a, a, a temporary creature, because after, after a thousand years he was supposed to die, but he gave seven years of his life to David HaMelech. The reason he donated seven years of his life to King David, because that's the only chance to 
correct his sin after he ate from the tree and Hashem got very upset at him and he punished him and we all pay the price today because we all are part of that puzzle the only way to correct it is through the Messiah when the Messiah comes the world will be perfect corrected again the world will return to the level where it, where it was for that hour before Adam made his sin that's the whole idea about Mashiach no more evil inclination no more, nobody has to work anymore how Adam was supposed to be have everything as much as you want you don't have to bother, you don't have desires, you don't have anything. You live in a perfect world. The world will return to that age. The hour before he made the sin. And that's the only way that the sin will be completely erased. So far, the, the sin is still pending. 5,761 years since the sin until today. We go to work, Parnassa, it's very difficult to make a living. Even people who make millions, they suffer for it. Nobody sits from the day he was born and smoked his pipe and the millions are coming to his bank account. It took him some time until he got to that position, right? We're not talking about Husni Mubarak stole $70 billion from the Egyptian people. I don't know why he's not in the top of the list. They keep saying Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. They're puppets compared to Mubarak. He buys both of them in one check. He didn't give half of his money to donation, no? They already gave half of their money. They already gave Today they publish the list of the 50 biggest donators in the world. Or in America, I'm sorry, in America. And in the end, the list came to 54 instead of 50. Why? There were four draws. First place, second place. So in some places, there were two people that gave the same amount of tzedakah. So they didn't know what to do, so they pushed four more people into the list. 18 of the 50 people are Jews. Now in America, the Jews are 2% of the population. The goyim are 98%. You would expect, how much is 2% from 50? One. It should have been one Jew, 49 goyim, 18 Jews. Not only that, that the Jews are the biggest donators to charity. The biggest. In but the only problem is, that article was praising the Jews. And I'm telling you that these Jews will get punished for every dollar they gave. Because where did they give their charity to? Let me explain to you what I mean they'll get punished. I know they meant well. Most of these donations is egoist, for egoistic reasons. They donate because they want to be the, the friends of the president. For instance, the wife of the president make a fundraising. I don't know, it's $50,000 to come with your wife for a dinner for some kind of cause that it's important to the queen, Queen Obama. So how do you get in? It's $50,000 check. You want to be close to the plate. So you donate. Then you make connection. They call you again, Clinton. We're collecting money for the missionaries. They want to make some more Christians people in Israel. Would you help us, Mr. Goldman? How much? Uh, we need $3 million. No problem, the check is on the way. One day, Mr. Goldman will cash on his donation. What do you think? Tomorrow, the FBI is after him. Hey, Bill, the FBI is not leaving me alone. Don't worry, consider it done. That's the, that's the dirt of the politics. So giving this kind of donation, giving money to the rabbi, knowing in one week you're going to have a serious problem, you're going to need him to run with you to, 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 to take care of your problems, that's really not a donation. That's, that's a tricky business. Giving donations to strangers, that's just for the mitzvah. It's a very high level of donation. Plus, there's another problem. 
The Jewish nation is a very poor nation, believe it or not. Yeah, there are many billionaire individuals or millionaires, but there are more than 70% that are starving for bread in Israel. Today, today they published all the statistics, today, not yesterday, today. Do you know that the city of Bnei Brak has thousands of kids who go out of the supermarkets to look for pieces of bread in the garbage? Do you know that or no? Bnei Brak, today in the article, today. In Bnei Brak, today one person spoke in the Knesset. Who was he? I'm trying to remember his name. It says like this, a country that the citizen, uh, we became from a welfare country, we became a greedy country. The government wants to be wealthy, and they achieve their goal. It's a healthy government, healthy economy, but on the expense of making thousands of kids go to sleep starving every night. Starving. One piece of bread extra they cannot afford. One piece of bread, how much? Rye bread is $3. How many slices it has? 50 slices, 40, how many? It means it's not even, how much is a slice of bread? It's not enough. It's not enough because you have other expenses. Electric is doubled in here. Gas is doubled in here. Everything is expensive. How much a, a worker in Israel make? A thousand dollars a month, and that's the average salary. Thousand dollars a month. The rent is eight hundred, seven hundred. How you feed seven children? The electric bill is two, three hundred dollars a month in a tiny apartment. You want to have a car? Forget about it. It's a millionaire if you have a car. Buses, transportations. You know, it's very difficult. Yes, of course, there's very rich people, American citizen, French citizen. They came from Canada, from the United States. They bought a lot of property. You see fancy cars. That's not really the situation. 5% of the people are very rich. The rest is like in South America. You go to Argentina. You see beautiful cars in Buenos Aires. 90% of the people there are starving. They cannot pay for nothing. Also in the Arab countries, you see all these shakes with the oil. That's, what, that's who you see on the news. You don't see the average Arab that's starving to have a piece of bread with a little oil. What do you think? That's the world. That's most of the world. In Russia, the same thing. In Yugoslavia, in Armenia, in Turkey. Everywhere you go, it's the same thing. But who's going to take care of the Jews? Their brothers, no? But what happened when their brothers take all their billions and give it to all kinds of secular nonsense causes? There's no money for these children that wants to go and learn Torah and they cannot think because they're hungry. Sits in a class all day and his stomach is killing him. You understand what's going on here? This is what's happening. This is what's happening. I told a very rich woman, very rich woman, very rich, she had some kind of, you know, she, she had some kind of a problem. I try to be careful not to give too many, inf too much information about her. You don't know who I'm talking about. But uh, I'm talking rich in millions, for sure. So one, one person fooled her to buy a book for $1,800. And this is after I warned her at least six, seven times not to be fooled by all these tricky messengers of all kinds of rabbis that come. Here, this is a book. The rabbi wrote you a blessing, $1,800. The book cost 20 bucks. This is business. I told her, be careful from all these things. You don't know where it goes, where the money goes. Be careful. For one time, 
when she went to Israel, I wanted her to go to see how my guys that learn in my yeshiva in Yerushalayim, how they live. If you take, there are 24 families there, 24 guys who sit and learn all day Torah with tefillin on their head all day and they don't talk a word besides Torah, all day. They have tefillin, like the Kabbalists, they sit with talit and tefillin, all day learn Torah, from morning to night. Each one of them live in such poverty, I don't know if you ever saw in your life such a thing. Seven, three, four, five kids in a small, tiny room, smaller than this bathroom over here. Sardines, leaks from the roof, water, especially in the cold days, water are dripping on their head. You want to put your homework, your book, you have nowhere to put, you want to do homework, you don't have to put. The conditions are beyond any imagination. Over there, you know how much this 1800 would help these kind of people? First of all, to fix the leaks. It's already, they sit in yeshiva, there's water dripping on their head. She got angry that she, ha she was asked to help them. I wasn't the one who asked. Somebody from there called her directly, Baruch Hashem, I never ask. Never come to a person, give me money. <laughs> I have a rule. I already know one time someone will say one bad thing about me, it's not worth it for me anymore. They never ask, give me. We want to give you, give, I appreciate it very much. You don't help me, you help yourself. You help, it's an investment. I take, I turn it to Balei Tshuva, you got lucky. You make millions of mitzvot doing nothing. But that's not the point, the point is over there. They have a rabbi over there that is in charge of the yeshiva. I told him, listen, I'm not able financially to support the yeshiva. I already found people who support the yeshiva on routine basis. So the foundation of the cause you have. Every other extra things that are unexpected, like leaks, this, that, you're going to have to find uh, people that help you. I cannot put more and more weight on my back. 